Welcome to WVU Marketing Horizons, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenhouse. We are grateful to WVU, who offers renowned online master's degree programs in marketing communications. And this series is presented by the Reed College of Media as part of their ongoing marketing series. Thank you for joining us today. Cindy, I am so happy to introduce today Scott Gillum, who's based in Raleigh. And I first met Scott when I was at IBM. This oh, was wow. in the late 90s. And he was at Market Bridge, which is a B2B channel partner marketing agency. But here's the thing he worked at various B2B agencies for about 20 years. And then he founded his own agency. It's called Carbon Design, and it's based on an entirely new agency philosophy, you might say. He tells me that in the four years since he opened Carbon Design, they have a seven-figure income, 90% client retention, and here's the coolest thing, 100% rating from employees on Glassdoor. And he does all of this entirely through referrals. His business is based on fixed fee projects, no retainers and no hourly billings, and they've been profitable from day one. So let's get him in here to find out how and why he did this. I think what we're going to hear might very well be a blueprint for the agency of the future. Wow, I so agree. Thank you, Ruth. Scott, I'm fascinated about this being from an agency background myself. So do tell, what is it about the current way marketing agencies have work that you thought needed fixing? Yeah, you know, it wasn't necessarily just agencies either. So I, you know, back in the day when uh, Ruth and I first met, I was in the professional services world and I saw some challenges there. What kind of got me on this path was I I got very curious as to why employees said they were no longer engaged at work. Gallup had come out uh, around 2016, 17 with a report that said 85% of employees were not engaged at work, which is interesting now given COVID, the quit rates, right? So you could say we kind of saw this coming four or five years ago because employees say they were engaged. So I kind of went on this quest to try to figure out what was going on and just memories from my professional services days of of people who were middle management left probably at the most productive time in their lives to stay at home with children or take care of a parent. And they tried a hybrid approach of they were going to try to work and, you know, take care of things on the home front and they never seem to get that balance. They are always upset about that. So that was one thing that maybe that's not the solution either. And then people trying to look for meaningful work. My wife used to work for Ogilvy, left and raised our two children, did a great job of it, by the way. And then once they're in school, was looking for something that really felt meaningful for her. And so all those things were kind of floating around in my head when I got to this point in in a time when I had a chance to start something new and different. And so when I left the agency, I noticed that the millennials had a very different way of thinking about what they wanted out of life and a career and work very differently. And so I just went on this exploration, read a bunch of books and talked to a bunch of people to try to figure out maybe we just need a new work model because the Monday through Friday, nine to five is all legacy from the manufacturing days. It's over 100 years old. It's 
built around electricity. And maybe that just didn't fit people anymore. You know, most agencies and agency folks that I've worked with have never seen a nine to five job. You know, the agencies tend to be on call all the time. There's an expectation that you work really long hours. There's also an expectation from the marketer or the client that you're available whenever they want you. Weekends, evenings. Yeah, whatever it takes. So I would think this also means there has to be some sort of evolution in the thought process of the client as well in order for it to work. Yeah, I I think you're right. Honestly, being inside the agency world for a number of years, I saw a lot of these fire drills that were self-inflicted. And I also saw that a lot of mistakes were made were repeatedly over, were repeated over and over again. In fact, when I first came into the agency world and I was observing this, I was like, I wrote this Jerry Maguire manifesto about my learnings from professional (laughs) service and all the things that could be done in the agency environment or practices adopted that could stop some of this fire drilling and repeating mistakes. And it just didn't go anywhere. I mean, there was this legacy thinking about this is just the way agencies run this way. It's always been, and it's way it's going to be. Right. And I I thought, "Mm, I I don't know about that. I, I think you can manage clients better. I think you manage projects better. And I think you can eliminate a lot of these problems. So what's the structure? Give us some details. Yeah. So think about us as a professional sports team and that we, in our talent, which are employees, their talent, um, are professional athletes and they have value and they put together contracts that we buy. So we're assembling a team very similar to assembling a professional sports team. We're, we're, we're agreeing on the work, we're agreeing on fees, we're agreeing on deliverables. And so this is a non-demand platform. We use freelancers, small business people, contractors, people who are you know stay-at-home uh, parents, um, people who've retired or semi-retired. We have a couple of those people as well that still want to do some work. And we have other people who are transitioning from one job to the next, to one career to the next, And they're talented. They're talented, talented people who want meaningful work. They want purpose and they want autonomy. They want to make their own schedules. They want to decide what work they want to be on. They want to decide where they work. We're 100% remote, always been remote. And we still offer that uh, regardless of where people are. Wow. How do you get the clients for whom that's a fit. They don't, they don't know any difference. They just want the deliverables. In fact, I had a client that kept changing the scope that we had, right? And I had send change orders in, right? And and she's like, well, we're buying deliverables. And I'm like, yeah, we're selling deliverables. But if those deliverables change, we're, we're going to have to change the contract and the scope here to reflect that because she was kind of... Like, I'm not buying hours, I'm buying deliverables. That's great. And you're not, you're buying the deliverables. But if those deliverables change, then then the price changes. So clients don't know it any different. All they know is they're getting a very mature team. They're getting the outputs. They're getting deliverable on time, which is very different. So this is different, again, from the agency world. When we turn over power to the employees or the, the talent in our case, and we're buying deliverables and timeline, if they don't deliver on that, then we don't work with them again. Mm. You, so the standard's been flipped, right? I'm not forcing you to a deadline. You're giving me the deadline. 
And if you don't meet that deadline, and I miss it with the client, because of our arrangement and it is a contract, contract's over, we don't have to renew it. So it, it's flipping the responsibility for the work back to the person delivering it. We don't have, we're treating people as adults. This is a mature work model. And this is the, the other thing that kind of got me on this is we need to have a mature relationship with people. People want to do good work. They want to master what they're, whatever they're in, they want to become masters of that in general, not everybody, but in general, yeah. right? They want to make clients happy. They want to be happy in their lives. They want their families to be happy. We figure all that balance out and everybody delivers. Then, then we have a happy person, a happy, talented person delivering high quality work that gives us that really happy client, which to your point, Ruth, in the introduction, it's why we have such a high client retention is we deliver really high quality work. And it's a pleasure to work with these people because they want to work. Scott, the other thing that, again, this may just be my um, bias from all the years in a traditional agency model, is that uh, clients respect and want agencies that are uh, deeply knowledgeable in their vertical segment, in their market, that they bring a lot of expertise. You know, clearly, you, you can't uh, be working with a direct competitor, but they don't want to train an agency they want the agency in most cases to train them. And if you conceptually, if you have a lot of this talent that can be free agents using your wording and can go wherever they want, how do the clients feel about the lack of continuity and expertise that comes with that model? Yeah, that is, that is a great question. I mean, we don't have a pyramid, so there isn't a, there isn't a leverage model here. So you don't have people right out of school working for us. Right. So you have people on average, uh, as I mentioned, uh, are 10 years, 16 years. So you have people who've worked in the industry. And the other thing is because we use a talent network, we then find people who've worked in that industry or in that business or in that particular technology area. Um, and we match out, we match our talent up with what the client's looking for. Um, we, we can't cover everything yet. Um, but we are deep in about five industries, given my experience and background and the people that I've worked with in the past that we're, we can cover. We know our space. We're all B2B or B2B to C. We don't we don't do any consumer side uh, and we stay in that lane. And then to your point, the other point is around expertise. The first three years of, you know, startup is you're just figuring things out and we're just taking work on it. <laughs> Anything, all dollars with green. We'll figure, you know, just make it rain green. You know, as I said, you know, that we were profitable from day one is because we took all kinds of work and some work we didn't do anymore as we were trying to figure out who we were and what we were good at. And we've narrowed that down. And it was, Cindy, to your point, it was really important for me to get us focused into two areas that, that we had intellectual capital around. And, and so we offer, to your point, we bring something to the table. We do, we do two things that are completely unique. It's built on our intellectual capital. And um, when we come to the table, we're like, here's our approach, methodology, database, tools, and we can help you in these areas. Sounds like this is really working well for B2B. Do you think it can work for consumer markets? I notice you are avoiding yeah. those. Yeah. I think it would be a little bit of a challenge for a number of reasons. 
in the consumer world, you're talking about a very big footprint. And so big agency networks that handle a lot of these big brands like a Coke or Pepsi-Cola need a global footprint. I think that's tough to do, right? We do have presence in Europe, but I don't have it in Asia. Um, I don't have those relations necessarily kind of in other areas. So I think that would, one, be a challenge. Um, two, I think um, those are huge teams as well. Right. If you think about uh, Wonderman has the Ford account and there are hundreds and hundreds of people on that account, maybe even thousands. Right. That would be a challenge as well. Um, so when it gets to scale. Both from geography and from a team size, I think that that's where we're going to reach limits. Mm, interesting. You also mm-hmm. mentioned employee satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk to us about how that's working out for you. Yeah, you know, this is one of those things, again, when you get to a certain point in your career, you can start to be either, you know, brave and honest or just plain stupid. We weren't because we were new and then we didn't really know what we were doing the first couple of years. We weren't afraid of feedback. In fact, we encouraged feedback. And so we've always had this open channel communication of how we can be better and what we can do better to serve your needs. Again, if we're flipping the tables around, really, you know, it's the inverted pyramid. We spend a lot of time surveying and talking to people about us and what we're doing and how we can do it better. Because again, this is, you think about it, this is like a big experiment or innovation lab on a new way to work. And so we're dying to learn that. And so, you know, we did a, a work study survey last year um, with, you know, because of COVID people were, were working from home and working different um, hours and everything. So we did a, a workday study to really understand how people were working. And it was fascinating. No two people have the exact same day. And, and the reason we got to this study, again, we're all trying to learn and get better about how we accommodate people's schedules and, and accommodate their life. We put our focus is really about get, focus on your life first and then work. Don't make it work life because it doesn't work that way. Um, and so watching the behavior of the people we have working for us I could see people working after hours or what would be considered working after hours, right? Or early in the morning. And I thought I was cutting into their family time. And that to me was very important that we allowed them to have that time. And it turns out that was just when they're, that was their work time, right? This is gets away from the like traditional eight to six, nine to five hours is it, nobody's consistently burning eight, nine, 10 hours straight on work doesn't work that way. Like they're interrupting, they have concentrated times of work and then life and then hybrid and then life and then work. It just doesn't flow consistently through the day. And anybody who has a, an eight to five or nine to six job realizes it doesn't work like that, even though that's the hours you're working. Right. So, I mean, we know that employee satisfaction has a high correlation with uh, ROI and uh, firms that have high employee satisfaction tend to be more profitable as well. But Scott, I'd also like to ask you, your customers must ask, your marketing clients must ask, show me the money (laughs) using your Jerry Maguire analogy. What are you using for metrics and measurement and ROI for your model back to your clients? Because we are in B2B, these things have to move the needle in sales. 
And so the messaging that we develop, for example, has to be resonant, has to resonate with audiences. Um, the creative work that we do has to show an impact in the marketplace. So it has to get, um, you know, response rates and click-throughs and all those things. But I think what we're doing is we're trying to disrupt the normal way of thinking about that, just like we kind of disrupted the normal way of thinking about work is if you really think about the performance in B2B, it's, it's God awful. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> really? Oh, it's horrible. Right. Response rates are three to 5%, right. And click through rates, you can get a 10% on that. It's great. If you flip these numbers around, these are 80, 90% failure rates, right? We, we accept single digit performance as being a benchmark. And that's just terrible. It tells us we're not doing something right. Well, that's been true in direct response communication since time immemorial. Yeah, yeah. And what's super interesting is the work that we're doing around personality-based marketing. We're starting to understand why our performance is so bad. We're just missing it. We're treating the B2B buyer's journey as a purely rational process. And if you think of, if you think about most of the tools that we use, they're nothing more than glorified checklists and activity trackers. That's it. It'll give us insight on what's going on inside of the buying group. It'll give us insight on what's going on inside the head of the decision maker. We're missing all that. I remember when we spoke last time, Scott, you said that your clients appreciated that you delivered, I think you said, 20% faster and 30% cheaper yeah. than what they'd experienced from other agencies. To me, those are metrics that you know, a client can take to the bank. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. You know, it's, we may be even more cost efficient than, than that. Um, that's a measurement that I, I looked at last year. I think this year, I may be even more efficient. Um, but that speed and Cindy, you brought that up earlier, like knowing my business, nothing more irritating than a client, like has to spend their time and money bringing your team up to speed on their business. Right. Absolutely. We're, we're doing a project right now. I just signed it yesterday. It's going to be three weeks. It should be a six-week project. I am scared to death. doing <laughs> it three weeks. It's a significant project that could change this whole go-to-market model for a client. Um, but if I didn't have people who had 20, 25 years experience, and one of the guys on this project is ex-CMO and ex-Booz Allen consultant, we could never do that three weeks. It's ridiculous to think that we could do that. But that's their timeline. And I think this is the other thing. In B2B, the timelines are accelerating. Like you can't take 16 weeks to get something in the market anymore. That's for sure. The world changes in a week sometimes, in days, let alone 16 weeks. So if we have um, on our, our podcast listeners who are in the agency world and are listening to you and they're hearing about delivering it, you know, even 20% faster, 30% cheaper, faster, better, and they're listening to your model and they're sitting in a, in the more traditional um, fee-based traditional model, what would you recommend as two or three good places to start if they were actually interested in embracing this new disruptive model? Yeah, I, I think the place to start is to think about being able to price based on value, right? than time. 
and value-based pricing, if you can be comfortable making that transition, it's it's not easy to move away, right? But that to me is like number one is if you if you do value-based pricing, then you really start to say, am I really bringing that value to the client? Like, can I charge that fee? Normally, if, if you know, if I build a business, you know, if I did the pricing in my traditional pricing model, right, and it comes out at sixty k, can I say that this is worth hundred k and deliver on it? And and so breaking that chain to say maybe it's maybe this is really important for the client and it will impact this client's business in this way. And I could price at a higher level versus just me being wedded to how many hours is it going to take to get it done? That to me is like first step, right? How important is this work to the client and how well can we deliver on it? And then from there, treating people differently, um, buying, asking people for deliverables and not hours. Because you really, if you, if people want autonomy, which is what Daniel Pope, Daniel Pink says, and, and I mentioned his book before, Drive is fantastic to wrestle with these new challenges that we have with the workforce. If people truly want autonomy, then let them tell you when they're going to deliver something, but don't, and don't care about the hours to get it, right? That's just making the sausage. Just buy the sausage. That puts it back on them. Because if you give people hours, the time expands. And also my guess is that the work suffers too, because the deadline pressure introduces an emotional element that can get in the way of the kind of creativity and, and free thinking that you're looking for in an agency. Yeah. But to your point, Ruth, this is one thing I have learned is that you don't want to rush creativity. I, and I, and I learned that early because I was trying, right? And I respect the creative process, and and I really tried to preserve it in a way where they get as much time to do their to do the magic that they do, and they do, right? So what we try to do is shorten up the strategic upfront part to getting to the brief to allow our creatives to have time to do that because it does take time to think, and, and you need your head to roll around it. So we try to shorten the front end to give them the time. Scott, it's so interesting chatting with you about this. Uh, You know, Ruth and I like to look forward and be forward thinking over the horizon of what's coming. And uh, do you think that the traditional B2B marketing agency model now is dead? Are you going to say that while you're uh, a a bit of an experiment and certainly a unicorn in the space, do you think you're going to become the way it's got to be and and look out? Um, it's funny you say that because I think I've read that title about 20 times on articles and blog posts about B2B, you know, that, that traditional agency model is dead. It's not dead. It's not going to die. Um, the traditional big networks are going to keep it. What I think will change is that they'll need another model. And I think that's what we're, we're offering is we're, we're offering a different type of model in it it would fit for people who want to fit in that model, right? Um, you know, I, I was mentioning, you know, I talked to folks at Wonderman and they have, you know, 400 open positions and they're not alone in that. All the big agency networks have hundreds of positions open and, and they'll never fill those. Um, so they've got to think about a different strategy of we have client work, we need to fill 
those deliverables for those clients. We need people to do that. We're going to have to find another way to do this. And like our model has been around for a long time. People, independent people, independent contractors have used independent contractors and, and they partnered up on work. I think what's different about us is that we do in big teams. We have an entire team that could be 10 people all working together on a client, not one or two, right? And we have independent contractors managing that work and managing the client relationship, right? And they own that. They own client relationship. And, and in, in a way, that's kind of like their franchise, right? We were setting up small business owners. They're defining their hours. They're managing the clients like they have complete autonomy. And then we turn it over to them to have that. And they're like this franchise owner. So I think, I think we'll, we'll be in an addition to, I don't think we'll be a replacement. I think we'll, it, at some point, they'll have to realize we need more people and we need a different model to have those people want to work with us. And, and I think that's how, it'll, you know, down the line, it will go. We're already having some conversations about that currently. I can see that. I can also imagine agency heads who are listening to this podcast are going to be turning over the gray matter in their heads. Yeah. They've always had, I mean, look, when I was in the agency world and, and Cindy, you, you, we use freelancers, we contractors, right? They're sure. all, always augmented team with these people. And these people were great. Like they, if you're, I think there's the other thing to think about it. People who are really tuned in in this model, we start talking about it. They think freelancer contractor, you know, what, what kind of talent am I going to get? These people are talented enough to go out on their own and make a living, right? So, and then that's the other thing that's changed, right? When you saw these very specialized talents like UX strategists, they realized I can make twice as much on my own as working in an agency model going on my own. And then that's when I realized I need to round up the contractors and the freelancers because that's where the talent's going because they hang a shingle, make twice as much and they control their hours and their time and how they want to work. That's where the talent is. So why would they join you then? What are you offering? We offer them the ability to not have to chase work. Yeah. So they can just do the work instead of get the work. Yeah. And the other thing is it can be a lonely life. And so they get a chance to work in, in team or with people they know. Um, yeah. And, you know, Sometimes they're too busy for us. They've got enough work on their own and that's fine. Uh, I want to make sure people are filling the hours that they want to work. This is great. So Scott, thanks so much for sharing this with us. I, I think you're really onto something. Well, knock on wood, we're still experimenting, but it seems to be working for now. We'll continue to learn and, and apply it, but we need to think about work very differently. And I think COVID gives us an opportunity. And I don't know if enough organizations are really rethinking the way work gets done. Mm. Well, I thank you. It. We can't thank you enough for spending this time with us. Absolutely. Thank you for having Thanks. me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate it. I'm going to rethink my whole agency model. <laughs> Well, good luck. I hope you do. Thank you. Ruth, thank you so much for introducing Scott and his really um, 
provocative and relatively unique business model for agencies. What caught my attention initially was treating your not employees, but treating them as talent, like a professional athlete and a professional team where they're all free agents and you recruit them based on their specific talent and skills. And, you know, there's no pyramid. It's a talent network. How unique is that? It's so cool. And for skilled, talented agency experienced professional marketers, it has so much appeal. And I can see the clients really appreciating it too, because they there's no pyramid, like Scott said, that they don't have to take the work of, you know, a junior recent college grad. <laughs> They're getting all high level. He said 16 year average tenure in the in their fields. Are, are the people right. working on his sports team? Mm-hmm. Um, makes me wonder, Cindy, are these guys now going to go get their own agents to negotiate their contracts? <laughs> hey, I know a few really good agents who can negotiate those contracts. But, right. you know, clients now, think about where we're at. And yeah. most of the B2B marketers, the staffs are lean. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of them are run by uh, mid-level marketing directors where if you could recruit a talent lead through an agency who knows more than you, is deeply knowledgeable in your vertical segment and has a lot of experience, not only does it make you smarter and you learn, but you don't have to train them. And it goes to that other point, you know, time is money. And how much time does a customer or client want to spend educating their agency? They have no time anymore, nor do they want to pay for it. Mm, and wasn't it interesting how the deliverables he's able to um, d- deliver are faster, cheaper, and possibly better for the on the side of the client. Now, Absolutely. on the side of on the side of the employee, wow, this feels like. Uh, heaven for the kind of person who has a COVID type schedule. (laughs) And I loved his point that COVID has allowed this model to accelerate. Um, Many companies are sort of behaving like this without even knowing it probably, but the, uh, the millennials coming up, he mentioned, they don't want to work the way boomers did. And even Gen X, they, what did he say? They, they're looking for purpose and autonomy. Mm-hmm. Meaningful work. Yeah. Um, and his study, which, you know, wasn't COVID related, but he said his study earlier on pre-COVID that said 85% of employees were not engaged at work and that that was even worse post-COVID. And so, that Wonderman has hundreds of openings, really. I was thinking, absolutely. where are all the young college grads who used to be clamoring to work at top agencies like that? Well, I think that the definition of what we value in work has changed and that leads to what does our what is the value proposition 
for our employees with their employers and the value proposition between the agency and the customer. Right. And, and that was the other thing when he talked about value-based, right? Moving away from uh, hourly rate, traditional agency billing to value-based pricing, again, is based on the client and the agency having the same view hmm. and the same values. So if we agree on what the value is that the agency is bringing and the client agrees that they want to pay for that value, then it works. I do wonder how scalable that is, Ruth, though. Well, I think what you're saying is that this is not for everybody. Probably on the agency side as well as the client side, I would not be surprised if he doesn't reject certain referrals and inquiries from prospective clients because he feels that that won't be a fit. And that's probably true for the way he hires as well. Sure. Sure. But, you know, on the value pricing front, every pricing lecture I've ever heard, every textbook are always extolling the virtues of value-based pricing, but geez, it's hard to pull off. So if he's able to get anywhere closer than the rest of us are to that model, thanks to the way he structured his business, that would be a huge win. Absolutely. And maybe that's why, like you said, he limits the number of customers that he works with. 12 a year, he said, right? Mm -hmm. And the uh, talent that he hires, because finding that synergistic uh, value equation between the marketer and the agency takes a unique kind of chemistry. But we can all learn from that. Mm. And I especially loved how he said, that agencies are going to embrace his idea as an additional option inside their agencies and not as a replacement for their traditional models. That feels like another win-win to me because the, the type of person, the type of structures, organization, the culture that he's describing is so different from the traditional agency, isn't it? Absolutely. It's additive to the relationship. It's not going to replace a traditional agency relationship. And so maybe that's one of our first piggies or takeaways that this is a model that will be additive to the existing model, but that agencies should think about how they incorporate some of this new thinking in the way that they are approaching their current customer relationships and client relationships. And another of the piggies is the the one you pointed out about thinking of your business like a, a sports team with mm-hmm. talented athletes who have their own um, capabilities to offer and that they demand or they, they seek respect and autonomy and, and purpose in, in their work. It's fantastic. Yeah. I we didn't talk about it, but I I did make a note here because it made me chuckle. Um, so many of the challenges that we have in agencies, he said, are self-inflicted fire drills. <laughs> I think that's a wake-up call for all of us. Um, your 
sense of urgency does not turn into a fire drill every day. Uh, Mm -hmm. We could do more to uh, take away these self-inflicted wounds. Here, here. And maybe the third piggy would be that point about his self-image as running a an innovation lab. (laughs) Wasn't that great? He he found out through his research that no two people in the company have the same schedules, but they're all delivering great work. And he has a value, a philosophy of life comes first, work comes second. That kind of thinking and being open to, to feedback and asking, begging for feedback and not taking it personally and all the other things that the rest of us usually do. What a, you know, I, th- I think the piggy is that it, it, he has deliberately created a culture where this model can work. And that comes from the top down. He's, he has set a culture of empowerment and, and satisfaction for employees. Absolutely. Very inspiring. Thank you so much, Ruth, for inviting Scott to our conversation today. It was a terrific conversation. Thank you, Cindy. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Horizons, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenglass. Please be sure to visit go.wvu.edu slash mctoday to view our upcoming conversations, listen to previous discussions, and subscribe to receive updates.